Welcome to the Your Houston Podcast. This is your host, Nicholas Hall. This is your co-host, Mario Castillo. How are you doing today, Mario? I'm excited. You know, you're looking good. Looking like this weight loss challenge has really just brought some new energy to your life. Energy, muscles, all those things. You know, I really feel better. I feel like I have more natural energy. Well, that's great given that you also have a birthday coming up, getting a little older. You know, I don't feel it. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's this challenge that's brought the best out of me. I don't know. I will say you don't look your age. In fact, I probably look your age. Oh, please. Come on now. <laughs> we all know I'm old man. I'm, I'm Houston elder, right? We've got Houston's future and your Houston present. So I do appreciate the sentiment. I very much am looking forward to spending some time and really meditating and getting deep on not eating sugar. No, no cake? No berry chantilly cake from Whole Foods? I, I am really committed to this challenge, and I feel so good. I mean, I, I'm doing well. Why, why would I ruin it? Why would I spoil it at the finish line? Mm-mm, no temptation. No donut cone, no nothing, no cake. So what are you doing for your birthday? You know, family, always. Uh, probably some Zoom calls. My family has a tradition. We always call, and every family member calls and sings the entire happy birthday song. Wow. So I have a big, loving, beautiful family. I appreciate all your support, family. Uh, and so I will be having those phone calls and getting to, you know, hear that song multiple times, which is very welcomed. Uh, so, you know. I've been a part of a few birthday Zooms, and they're just always a little awkward. I'm not sure why. Yeah, well, my family's awkward, but it, it's something I embrace. It's who I am today. How everybody's got their family and everybody's got the unique characteristics of their family. So I'm very much looking forward to it. I am also looking forward to this weight loss challenge being over because uh, I would like to maybe eat more than I have been eating. Well, so, the finish line's in sight, so. It is, and I'm running full speed all the way through the tape. So I hope, I hope you're, you're ready for that. Um, and speaking of family, you know, we're developing an audience for the show. If you're new to the show, you're Houston. We're grassroots, nonpartisan uh, organization. What we do is we connect people, bring them together so that we can really impact quality of life initiatives. And what's that mean, really? It means we try to make Houston a better place to live to work, to be. And so our family's been growing, which is an awesome thing. And so thank you. Thank you for all the support. Thank you for tuning in. Um, thank you for the comments. And we also look forward to adding additional members to our family. Yep. So hopefully this weight loss challenge has been fun and, you know, people get excited and see how we can really get creative and, and, and incentivize and you know, the things right now with society. It's just, we need more positivity. Absolutely. And so I think that these things are welcome distractions to really get our mindset reset and moving in the right direction. And in a healthier direction. Of course. So like I said, if you're new, please like, and subscribe. We've got a great guest today. We're talking about the economy. That's pretty much at the forefront of everybody's mind. Uh, we've got an, I mean, the, the person for economics and dealing with Houston. 
Ed Hurst. So we're very excited to welcome Ed Hurst to the show today. Ed teaches energy and economics courses to graduate and undergraduate students at the University of Houston. He's authored and co-authored published opinion pieces on energy, markets, and corporate governance in national and international media. And he is a graduate and also the chartered financial analyst from Yale University. Good morning, Ed. How are you doing? Hi, Nick. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for being here today. Uh, before we get to the fun stuff, though, I've got to ask you, are you ready for liftoff? I feel the liftoff. The clock has started. Right here. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I love some corny music every once in a while, little sound bites. Uh, so first question, uh, you get a free dinner at any restaurant in Houston. You can take anybody you want. Where are you going and what are you ordering? Frenchies. I'm going to order the, uh, the three-piece dinner. There we go. That's All a right. solid. That may be one of the most solid answers to date. Uh, I like that one. Uh, next question. You got a private jet filled, filled with enough fuel to take you anywhere in the world. Where are you going to go? Paris. Uh, I, that's gold standard. Good answer. Uh, if you could transplant anything from another city and bring it to Houston, what would it be? Well, I've already done that. I've got a grapefruit tree in the backyard. So, um, <laughs> second, second thing. Um, um, great question. Um, Pepe's Pizza from uh, New Haven. There you go. I like it. Food. That's a good answer. I think that's the first food item we've had transplanted. Um, So now we're going to speed things up, get that gray matter moving, get the cognitive juices going. So here we go. If you could pick one source of news for the rest of your life, what would it be? And no, you cannot pick Apple News. That's a good thing because I don't rely on Apple News. Um, the BBC. All right. Great answer. Next question. Have you seen the documentary Tiger King? No, I have not. (laughs) Some would say you're not missing anything. (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, I I think so. Yeah. Um, I may or may not agree with them. What do you think, Mario? Is he missing anything? Yeah. If we're, you know, hunkered up for a storm, might as well just watch it. Hey, you know, I hope with like relating to the, to the student population of today's yeah. society. Uh, next question, John Rawls or John Nash? Oh, John Nash. All right. Beautiful mind. I like it. Uh, Shipley's one, of or, my, one of my professors. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. There you go. Was his roommate at Princeton. Oh, and so Martin Schubick just passed away, uh, actually this time two years ago, um, at the age of 93, uh, John Nash and Martin Schubick and another colleague, um, uh, invented a board game in 51 called, uh, so long sucker. That's the sanitized version of, um, uh, uh, couples would come to, to play this game and they would leave in separate taxis. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, Martin uh, really, I think, got a raw deal. He was portrayed in the movie as John Nash's antagonist uh, when actually they were the closest okay. friends. They offered a number of papers together, uh, including Martin taking uh, Nash's uh, Nobel-winning piece 
on non-cooperative equilibriums and Martin showing how an irrational outcome was rationally possible. I, I would so, agree with that. Yeah, I think it is. This is the uh, Martin Schubick's uh, dollar auction paper, which is a, a real short one. It was actually a subject of uh, engines of our ingenuity uh, a mm -hmm. couple of years ago. Well, what would they say to this question? Shipley's or Starbucks? Uh, Shipley's. If you could in travel fact, back uh, in time. I'm going to go right back. And Martin and uh, one of his colleagues wrote a book, uh, uh, an article on the best pastrami sandwich. And the best pastrami they, sandwich. They, they, were, they were deeply concerned that all of the old delis were going to go out of business. So they, they did an academic paper on pastrami sandwich. You know, I think the new Katz's is about to reopen here yep. in Houston, if it hasn't already, speaking of pastrami. So next question, if you could go b travel back in time, which college course would you teach yourself and which course would you tell yourself not to take? Uh, well, I taught myself differential equations and that's one I never wanted to take. So I, could, I would answer with that. That's such a good answer. <laughs> he answered this question the same. Um, what's the lamest excuse a student's ever given you for turning an assignment in late? <laughs> you know, you know, with the number of students that I teach, it's, it's, it's not really a good thing if I know your name. <laughs> and, uh, uh, that does happen. So the lamest excuse, there've been a lot of really good ones. The, um, you know, I haven't had the dog ate my work yet. Uh, <laughs> you know, what I have had is, um, oh, I, I, I didn't know there was a paper. Where's the uh, syllabus? Uh, there, there was no paper assigned. So just pure rationality. Um, so speaking of students, do you pay attention to the reviews on ratemyprofessor.com? Uh, no, I, uh, I think the last time I looked, which was several years ago, there were maybe three or four ratings and then it's like, eh. Oh, you got good ratings. We'll have to get together sometime and, and, and have a drink and, and read them together. Uh, there's some funny <laughs> ones. Uh, next question. They're going to make it, we're going to elevate the level of, of cognitive matter here. Uh, do you think artificial intelligence will conquer humans or will we find a way to work together? Well, artificial intelligence is just, uh, you know, algorithms that are, that are programmed by humans. Um, I, I would ordinarily expect that the, the AIs are going to be uh, working for humans. Um, certainly there was the, the TV show Person of Interest uh, that ran for a number of years, which had uh, the evil uh, uh, super AIs. Um, uh, or ASI's artificial superintelligence that they were they were fighting against. Um, you know, science fiction has a way of of forecasting what's going to happen. Uh, we're only now getting to Jules Verne, if you will, in in some respects, and uh, uh, we don't quite we have the the Dick Tracy uh, two way um, uh, wrist radio TV. We don't quite have the maglev. Uh, uh, devices that, that flew him uh, around uh, uh, the city. Uh, so potentially we could have some real issues with the, the AIs. We've seen uh, the AIs applied in stock market trading and derivatives trading, and we've seen how that can actually get out of hand. Uh, and so when, when the algorithms you know, see 
one aspect of life uh, and, and they aren't informed about the, the rest of, of the macro environment that they exist in, uh, you know, they do the right thing. They do what they're supposed to be doing. But um, uh, the damage that can be done because they don't see the entire picture is, is real. Yep. Uh, and, and so that's, you know, what's a first order condition? Well, you know, uh, you know, a ball hits a bat. Fine. First order condition. What's second order condition? Well, we saw a ball hit a, a stuffed bear in the stands here over the weekend and the bear was knocked silly, but it's a stuffed bear. Uh, I think you know, I saw that on a baseball highlight. There we are. Uh, That's the highlight of the season so far. Yeah. With AI, it's definitely one of those things where it's journalism reporting and or otherwise humans reporting and that's somewhat colored by, you know, our own human condition. So um, next question, the future will robots form unions or will they end them? I, I don't see us paying robots anything offhand. We could pay the owners of robots. Uh, and so the owners of robots could uh, direct the robots to form unions, I would suppose. <laughs> there we go. That was submitted by Houston's Future. And the future generations want to know about robots and, and unions. Last question, and this will kind of lighten the mood a little bit. Uh, if you had to take any first lady to the prom, who would it be? Oh, my goodness. Uh, any first lady. Um, let me think about this for a second. Oh, you'd have to take Abigail Adams. There. Wow. wow, that is a good one. Why, why her? Uh, Abigail Adams might have been the, uh, the, uh, the one member of the family who should have been president. Um, uh, you know, certainly a, a pillar of strength, uh, no nonsense, extremely sharp, very bright, and uh, quite a wit. So she had a beautiful mind. Uh, so Mario, there you go. Well, Ed, thanks for being here. We'd like to get the conversation started by just getting your opinion on the state of the local economy, given everything that it's gone through recently with COVID. I've, I've been impressed by the local economy. We're uh, a lot more resilient than I, I, I think we anticipated in March and April. Um, you know, part of it was the the PPP, the Purchasing Power Protection Plan, and then the um, direct uh, uh, benefits to to uh, unemployed. Uh, but this is this is not persisting. Uh, certainly, hospitality has really been hammered. Restaurants, bars, uh, hotels, um, uh, retail shopping. Um, this has been just an awful time. Uh, the oil patch, of course, has had a difficult time as well. Uh, the PPP, uh, the Purchasing Power uh, uh, Protection or Payroll Protection Plan, really helped the oil patch. And so we're not seeing the full impact of the damage to the oil patch just yet. Um, the oil patch had a miserable 2019. Uh, January was the warmest month on record and led to a decrease in worldwide demand of, of almost a million barrels a day. Uh, the Saudis and the Russians have combined to keep oil prices low. Um, this is uh, uh, certainly in keeping with what President Trump has asked them to do, which is to keep oil prices low. And they'll keep it low through the, uh, at least through the election. Uh, the, and so capital in Houston has been hammered, and that's just beginning to kind of trickle down to the population. But the population, on the other hand, was hammered because of the, the shutdowns. 
uh, this is the first recession caused by essentially government orders, uh, shutting down businesses, uh, uh, demanding that we stay inside. Uh, and, and this is for our, our protection. This is for national health, um, national security, uh, public health. Uh, it's been extremely difficult to manage, but this is a recession that has started from the ground up. And so if you look at the, the wealth pyramid, the earning pyramid of the nation, uh, the burden of this is falling on the, the population at the bottom end of the pyramid. Um, those who don't have six months of savings, those who don't have a stock portfolio. And given that, that probably 87% uh, uh, of the, the world's stock and, and bonds are the U.S. stock and bonds are held by um, uh, just uh, the, the top 10% of wealth, uh, you know, it's, it's really an uneven distribution. But everybody relies on the bottom part of the pyramid to do their work in the economy, which is buy and sell and work. And so we're having labor cut off. We're having, we're having uh, uh, lease payments missed, house payments missed, credit card payments missed. Um, this part of the pyramid is not getting the direct aid that needs to be there. Instead, what we've seen is a, a lot of aid going to the folks who own the stocks and bonds. Um, you know, that's going to be just ephemeral. That's, that's just air pumping up the, the balloon, but without any kind of base uh, beneath it. It's, it. You know, the balloon's not sealed at the bottom. Uh, and so once, once the Fed and Treasury's uh, efforts to, to inflate that balloon uh, drop out, uh, they're going to have paid once to, to keep the economy in place, but now they're going to have to pay twice because the money really should have been going to maintain the uh, standard of living uh, across the base of the economy. And, and that part of the population has been ignored. You know, we've seen um, uh, really uh, uh, disappointing statements by some of the leaders, uh, uh, you know, channeling Marie Antoinette. Um, you know, one senator simply said, well, why not give everybody a million dollars? You know, such an arrogant uh, uh, you know, no empathy, but, but, you know, that seems to be the, uh, the way of the, uh, of, uh, the congressional class, the, the senatorial class, uh, Washington. You know, it's with this disconnect, right. To where, you know, you've got the, uh, on the pyramid going back to the pyramid and, and at the top of the pyramid, we're seeing, you know, some conventional thinking as to you got to prop up business, right, to a certain extent to keep people employed, assuming that businesses will actually keep people employed. Um, and then now looking at the opposite end of the spectrum, which are the voters in general. Um, and we've seen a deterioration in, in, in what I consider the human condition, right? And this all ties into the economy because consumer confidence has to be pretty solid, right? In order for people to be out there spending money, being active and, and otherwise showing signs of a healthy economy. How much of a delay, so say that a new stimulus package were to come out that, that was to take care of, of the lower rungs of the ladder, how long of a trailing edge would you, would you project before consumer confidence would start to get back to some form of, of a normal uh, I don't think we're going to see a, a rebound in consumer confidence until we have some sort of evidence of an effective vaccine. Um, I can see consumers becoming really tired of everything. 
you know, if we had, if we'd gone into a, a full economy wide shutdown in March or April, um, you know, perhaps we would have wound up handling this better. Instead, the half measures that were taken um, uh, really just didn't uh, 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 achieve what public health officials wanted us to achieve. And, uh, you know, I don't know how this became a political football. P public health is, uh, you know, fairly agnostic, you know, Republican or Democrat. It's not uh, uh, socialist or capitalist. Um, you know, and it's not young versus old. Uh, and, and so this sort of short-sighted view without understanding the, the full impact of how this is ranging across the economy, how it's, it's uh, essentially eviscerating the, the, the bottom layers and the, the, the labor force and the, and the pyramid um, is, is just going to prolong our recovery. Uh, we've had, um, we're now in, the, in our second political convention. Um, no one is talking about uh, uh, restoring the economy, uh, progressive uh, fiscal expansion, um, the idea that, you know, the quaint notion of the Tea Party that we should have uh, balanced budgets seems to have been thrown out by the Tea Party itself. Um, but this is a time when you use the nation's balance sheet to support the nation. And uh, the reluctance of, of Congress and the executive to go forward with this is just uh, astonishing. When you talk about the hospitality industry, bars, restaurants that have been significantly impacted, do you expect uh, those industries to make a full recovery anytime soon? Say there's a vaccine or enhanced therapeutics. You know, when, when should we expect to see the hotel and and bar and restaurant industry uh, back to, to where it was pre-COVID? You know, I don't think we're going to see that. I think it's going to be diminished and, and diminished uh, permanently. Maybe it comes back to 80, 85% of what it was. Um, you know, we're seeing restaurant chains rationalize their, their holdings today. Um, uh, you know, more and more people are taking cooking classes and they're probably going to like that. Um, you know, if I had to have a marker, I would go to what Southwest Airlines has done. And so I, I've had to cancel flights because, well, I, I can't fly to New York anymore because we'd have to be two weeks into a quarantine uh, because our, our governor decided it was fair to open up. And, and uh, um, uh, you know, now now Texas is a hotspot. So if, if we look at that Southwest, you know, put the travel funds aside until September of 2022, you know, that's the best marker I've got. Wow. So, you know, if that's regarding travel, that goes to energy consumption. What yes, do you see? So, so what, what would you say to our audience, you know, regarding how much of Houston's economy is still dependent upon the energy sector? And what does the economy look like specifically for the energy markets and the energy sector going forward? Our economy is, is, is probably 30% uh, uh, tied to energy, but of course, you know, every part of the Houston economy is interlocking. And, uh, you know, the natural gas is still being produced, oil is still being produced. What's happened is the capital flow to drill wells, the capital flow to complete wells has stopped. And, and now we, we see more production coming online. Well, that's because, you know, $40 is, is greater than the cost of getting the oil out of the ground, which, you know, on a cash basis. And the cost of drilling, uh, you know, that's a sunk cost. 
Um, what we're seeing is a consolidation. Um, you know, we've got the horrible example of Occidental that went out and bought Anadarko for what, $54 billion. And now Occidental itself has a market value of less than 10. Uh, this is a real challenge uh, for, the, for the capital destruction in the oil patch. But this was all predicted. Uh, you know, anybody could look at this and see that the shale plays were the high cost plays. And um, um, yeah, I, I pointed this out you know, eight, nine years ago, that, that going for oil that cost you $50 a barrel really made a company vulnerable to any price wars coming out of the Middle East. You know, our peak production was about 13 million barrels a day in, in February, pre-COVID. Um, that's just 13% of the world market. They're a lot bigger uh, competitors uh, across the globe. And, you know, their cost of getting oil out of the ground on uh, full cycle ranges between five and $15 a barrel. So, you know, getting, getting set up to get clobbered in a price war is, is a, a bad thing. Uh, but, but again, you know, so the Houston economy is getting hit there. Natural gas has been really pretty strong through this primarily because natural gas is used for electricity generation. Uh, and that market has, has held pretty firm. So, you know, the gas companies, you know, certainly they've suffered from uh, the price uh, uh, falling in, in natural gas, but they're still in business. And these, these prices declined a few years ago, so they're well attuned to that. I think Houston is getting uh, and will be uh, severely hurt in the, um, uh, the medical community. You know, COVID has overwhelmed the hospitals and the doctors, uh, and this has pushed aside the normal flow of, of medical care in Houston. We've seen uh, 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 declines in uh, elective surgeries. I mean, why would you go in to a hospital deliberately to expose yourself for, you know, maybe a hernia repair or, or a knee replacement? Well, you know, I can put that off for six months. Um, uh, apparently, uh, the statistical analysis is that we're seeing fewer people in the emergency rooms and in the hospitals uh, being treated for heart attacks and, and uh, being treated for strokes. Um, and so there's a, uh, uh, that shift uh, towards, towards providing more care for COVID, which, you know, under the, the CARES Act and, and under state regulations, probably doesn't demand or, or provide the margins to the medical providers that these other uh, services do, we're, we're seeing an impact in that part of the economy that, uh, you know, you would think, well, a doctor's busy uh, treating patients, you know, 18 hours a day. You know, they're not making as much as they would be if they were treating uh, allergies or, you know, the dermatologist or, or um, uh, the heart patients. Yeah. I mean, it really sounds like a, a double one-two punch. Um, and so you, you touched on something and you've actually put out some really good work in Forbes recently on carbon tax and, and really looking at alternative um, sources of energy. Do you think that this is the opportunity for Houston to kind of do that paradigm shift and embrace uh, clean energy, if you will? Well, I think clean energy is, is certainly the, the path forward. For more than 10 years, an absolute majority of voters has wanted to, to go uh, towards a, a cleaner environment and, and reducing carbon emissions, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, uh, majorities, 55 to 75%, depending upon how the question's asked, 
Um, you know, rational people can argue about how we got there. You know, certainly the path forward is this needs to be addressed and addressed now. The challenge with the new and renewable energy is that the technology changes so quickly that by the time uh, we would set up the Nick and Ed solar farm, um, there'd be a new, more efficient solar panel uh, uh, being manufactured down the street, which would give a margin. So our capital would be lost. The, the rate of change in new and renewable energy is about 20% a year. Um, that's really very, very fast paced. Uh, and so it, it, it's, it's kind of like catching a falling knife. Um, uh, it certainly can be done, but you might get hurt doing it. Uh, we're seeing a, a tremendous uh, interest in, in wind and solar throughout Texas. Um, now we're looking at coastal uh, wind farms, which would tend to be coincident with peak demand in the afternoon. Um, you know, can we contract uh, with offtake providers to ensure a profit margin? Yes, we can. Is it difficult? Yes. Do, do people uh, uh, understand how this can be done? Some do. The city of Houston, for example, has contracted uh, with uh, renewable energy providers so that 100% of the electricity that Houston buys is uh, backstopping or, or providing financial support for wind farms and solar farms. Um, you know, certainly an electron is an electron and they, they have swaps with the, the old coal plant out here off of 290 or the gas plant out off of uh, uh, 59. Uh, but they've more than paid for the electron that comes into the grid uh, and provides the power for the city of Houston. And so in that way, we, the taxpayer, are subsidizing the renewable energy industry. Uh, uh, we, the ratepayer uh, across ERCOT, for example, we have paid uh, a huge amount of money subsidizing the transmission lines to bring the wind power in from West Texas to the consumer markets here. Um, you know, it's not always explicit, but that, that's how uh, it works. Uh, Houston has, has been at the forefront of, of wind technology. They've been, uh, you know, uh, Edward Everett Horton, uh, the second, uh, you know, had the, the patents on deep water spar rigs for drilling and for offshore platforms. And, and he had transitioned these to hosting wind turbines. And so they're, they're being constructed in the North Sea. Uh, as we speak. So, you know, there's, there's a migration of technology to new and renewable energy. Um, there are an awful lot of, of very, very smart uh, scientists and engineers in the oil patch. And uh, as the, the oil patch becomes uh, less labor intensive, uh, we're going to see uh, a number of these, these workers transition to other industries. Ed, what would you say to folks who are at the bottom of the pyramid that you were talking about earlier and are anxious uh, about the economy and the future? What, what are some things to give folks optimism? Um, I, I think optimistically we can, we can say that uh, uh, we're very fortunate that uh, COVID is not a much worse virus. Um, number two, we've seen, you know, the strength of, of the Houston community. Um, uh, we've been through some very trying times over the last six months and Houston is, is really doing a fine job of, of working together. And, uh, you know, you know, we were well-trained by Harvey and before that by Ike, um, the, uh, uh, 
resiliency. Uh, Houston is a, is a really young city, especially when when you look at uh, you know our competition: L.A., Chicago, uh, uh, Washington, New York. And so there's there's a, a strong entrepreneurial bent to the city of Houston's uh, population, and uh, um, yeah, I think we have to rely on each other more. We we certainly are having uh, uh, to cut back on our spending because our income is down, and uh, to the extent that we can provide um, uh, extensions and lifelines to others in the community, I think it will it will pay back. Uh, multiple times uh, once we get past this this pandemic. Yeah, I think that that's, that's good advice. I mean, do you think there's any silver linings insofar as emerging technologies or, you know, for one thing, and I'm kind of back up on this, I, I noticed that the student loan volume is 40, I think it's 46% lower in the fourth quarter of, of this last year than the year prior. And so that means if you just did the direct correlation, there's roughly half of the student body returning and or otherwise going to college, which means they would generally be participating in, in the labor market, right? In the labor force. So is this the time to go get new skills and, and kind of reset? Um, I mean, what would you say to that person that's kind of reevaluating their own human condition, their happiness, happiness with their job and, say they were in the service sector and also attending college, um, you know, bartending on the nights or whatever they, whatever have you, is this the time to embrace that, that new forward looking technology or is this another time? No, I, I, I you know, certainly in every downturn we've seen uh, in Houston and I, I've been here since 1982, um, we've seen a, an explosion of new technologies uh, come out of each one in the oil patch and out of out of any recession. And I think we see this this bottled up innovation um, uh, expressing itself. And so uh, there are firms that are out acquiring oil fields. There are firms out acquiring um, uh, wind farms. There, there are folks looking to do renewable fuels facilities. Um, everybody who's who's had a job in a in a, in a lab environment is you know certainly probably has a, a better mousetrap. Now's the time to go do it, especially if you've just been laid off. Um, you know, one of one of the cartoons that ran in the, the newspaper back in March was uh, you know uh, uh, you know kind of a spoof. It's like, well, now that I have the pandemic, I should be writing my novel. And then the, the next panel was six months later. Well, I should have written that novel. Um, somebody's writing a novel right now. Um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, you know, Rowling, the author of, uh, the Harry Potters, she was, uh, she was destitute and on welfare when she sat down at her kitchen table and peeled out the, the first one. Uh, we're going to see some of that. I can't tell you where it is. And, and, um, uh, it's certainly, uh, going to be, I think the, the outline, the, uh, uh, exception. Uh, but what we will see is a number of folks, you know, working from the ground up to build new businesses, whether it's uh, um, um, construction. And there's an awful lot of, of home contracting going on right now. Uh, we've got a number of, uh, you know, Home Depot and Lowe's are doing uh, land office businesses because everybody's at home and they've discovered that, gee, 
the place doesn't look as great as it should since I've got to be here 24-7. Um, so there's, there's, there are these subtle shifts. Uh, you know, the question is, will they persist and will they provide the, the opportunities when we get to a post-pandemic world? And what would you say on the state side of the response? Uh, how, how has that been? Is there more that the state can do uh, economically to benefit uh, folks who, who have been impacted? Uh, probably so. Uh, you know, the state has unemployment benefits that could be extended. Um, the, the challenge in looking at the unemployment is it doesn't really have a benefit for the gig worker, the, the Uber driver, the uh, part-time bartender, the part-time physical trainer, uh, folks who, you know, we get paid with 1099s instead of W-2s. And, um, you know, the world has gone to this in, independent contractor model. And you think, well, great, this is, I'm an independent contractor. I'm my own business. The challenge with that is, you know, when you don't have any clients paying you, it's hard to go into the unemployment office because you haven't been paying in unemployment. Now, you, you might through a Schedule uh, C, and, and uh, uh, we know you've got to pay in Social Security as self-employed, but you don't need to do that as a, a worker and, and pay into the state unemployment fund. Um, I think extending the, the benefits um, beyond just the, the labor force that's unemployed. So the folks, for example, who are, who are laid off in an oil company, they qualify for uh, unemployment. But the gig worker who's been piecing things together while she goes to school um, doesn't. And so there's there's one area where the state benefits could really make, I think, a, a, a very positive impact. And frankly, I don't think it would cost disproportionately more. Mm. I kind of want to go back to the the clean tech, right? The clean energy. Um, and in in your July 16th article, you you write about, you know, the really what's that mean insofar as the shift on trucks right and i think you touched on the technology right so the cost to actually do the technology and then it's kind of like thomas coon when he talks about these technology shifts the paradigm shifts and the paradigm shifts happen more rapidly and and so you're you're it's capital intensive on these investments and so you know it's it's high risk um but i specifically want to go back to austin and tesla what do you think it is that austin was able to provide to attract tesla that houston was unable to do uh, you know, Austin is, is the, uh, 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 I guess, cultural beacon of, of Texas. Um, the, the university setting, uh, it's, it's a home to the legislature. It's a home to the executive. Um, you know, locating in Austin for, for a company like Tesla kind of aligns um, the company with, with the community. Um, Tesla is, is, is also a, a tech company, um, and Austin has a, a very experienced uh, tech workforce that can be employed uh, with Tesla. Um, you know, it's certainly going to be a little more expensive to, to locate in Austin than it would be in Houston. Uh, but I, I, you know, and again, you have to, to get to the personal uh, uh, 
preferences of the CEO of Tesla and uh, where was he going to be most comfortable uh, locating this plant. In, in the end, it, it comes down to that. So that being said, and, and you know, being a business owner, you're going to pick the city that you want to be in, right? Um, does Houston remain the energy capital 10, 20 years from now? I certainly think so. Uh, we have the, the technological center here. Uh, Houston is uh, the, essentially the second home for capital uh, behind Wall Street for the energy industry. Uh, and and this, this goes with gas markets, oil markets, electricity markets. Uh, these uh, uh, markets were all pioneered here in Houston. Uh, the, the intellectual capital, uh, the, the workforce is located here. Um, I, I think we stay that way. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, you know, one of the discussions we have is that we have so much infrastructure already in place. Why aren't we using the defense powers to otherwise be making some of these critical pharmaceuticals that we need or what have you? I mean, that's still in my mind constantly. We should be working with a sense of urgency to do everything we can to get either the, and we're doing it on the vaccine, right? But to have like the PPE and everything else so that we can get people back to feeling comfortable participating in the marketplace. Exactly. And it, it's just the allocation of resources. You know, uh, Dr. Peter Hotez in, in the medical center, the, the dean at the tropical diseases at Baylor College of Medicine, uh, has, has been at the forefront of, of working on a new vaccine. Uh, you know, he's already in hand and has the vaccines for uh, uh, SARS-1. Of course, COVID is SARS-2 and for MERS. And so there's certainly a similarity. Uh, you know, can he uh, uh, advance you know, their research to the point where they have a, a viable vaccine for COVID? Um, you know, that's uh, the $64 question. But, you know, the, this is being pursued by dozens of research labs across the globe. And it's, it's certainly not just the, the capitalist incentive of, of, you know, here I've, I've made a fortune because I put together the, the vaccine that works. But it's necessary to uh, lessen the disruption to the economy, the disruption to the worldwide economy has, has impacted everyone, not just your grandparents who stay inside or, or your children who are now uh, underfoot um, uh, hogging the bandwidth. We had a nationwide outage yesterday on Zoom. Uh, you know, what a surprise. You know, millions of students logged into their classes uh, and back to school. And, and the miracle is that they were able to, to get it to operate. Yeah, I guess seeing the positive side of something that someone else would be saying is a negative, you know, positivity. Um, so what would you say to the person that, that is saying, well, look, we can't just sit on our hands and wait for the vaccines. You know, studies have shown that not everyone's going to take the vaccine and that the vaccine may only be so effective for so, such and such period of time. So what do you say to that person that, that really wants to get back to commerce and what they consider their, their new normal, which is working and, and buying and socializing? Well, you know, they can either take precautions or, or not. And so it's, um, um, I think the studies show that for those who, who are able to take the precautions, wear the mask uh, uh, and 
you know, practice social distancing, they can pretty much resume normal activities uh, in the in the contracting market and in the industrial market. Uh, we see uh, folks down in the ship channel and, and along the petrochemical corridor all reporting for duty in, in the refineries in the um, uh, in the oil patch, and they're practicing um, you know safe behaviors, if you will. Uh, for those who uh, take a, a more cavalier approach, uh, they're they're playing a game of Russian roulette. You know, maybe they're lucky and and they would be you know catch the virus and be asymptomatic. But on the other hand, if they they catch the virus and have a difficult time of it, the impact is just not on them personally. The impact is on their family, uh, their caregivers, and and their employees or or their employers. Um, and so it's this, this social responsibility that uh, seems to be at the, the heart of uh, the, the, the arguments, the political dispute right now as to, you know, do we get back to work? Do we not? Do we shut down? Do we, do we go forward? And it, it seems that um, the, the unspoken consensus is we're going to try and get back to work, but um, uh, there's this this uh, 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 recalcitrant uh, uh, group that uh, you know essentially believes they can go back to to life as normal. So since it's been politicized and since there's been projections, um, if things do get worse going into the fall, what's that mean for the Houston economy? Well, it means the economy is not going to grow. Um, we're going to remain at the current level of unemployment. Uh, we're going to see a, a huge spate of, of housing foreclosures. Um, we're gonna see capital uh, taken away from the, the uh, multi-unit housing. Um, so for example, apartment buildings, condos, it's going to be a, a very significant depression. On the real estate side, um, we're going to see a decline in property values. This is going to lessen the uh, tax revenues for Harris County, the tax revenues for the city of Houston. The city has been trying to get ahead of this by making some cuts, but I, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to, to, you know, fully anticipate what the impact is going to be on, on revenues, especially as we get to the end of the year and assessments, uh, come due. Um, uh, it's just going to be a, a very negative blanket on the uh, Houston economy. They're, you know, the restaurants that have closed down, they're not providing sales tax revenues. Um, they're not going to provide revenues relating to, to property taxes. They're going to just leave the keys on the counter and go. Wow. Let's hope it doesn't come to that. Yeah, but everything's trending in that direction, right? I mean, if, if you look, for me, the disconnect is, do I trust the data? Because at some point in time, rapid testing was, the CDC was directed not to count that in the, the official tally, right? So there's been a shift to the rapid testing. So if everybody's doing a rapid test and they're not using just the, the test that used to take five to eight to 10 days, sometimes two weeks to get your results, and they're not counting those results, and all we can go off of is the, the rolling average on the death count. I mean, that's still subject to a two to three week lag in reporting from symptomatic to then being hospitalized. I mean, so that, that, that's the thing. You, 
we've not seen this with the flu season. We, we have not seen this with everything that points towards that, you know, conventional wisdom would say in the fall when it gets cold and people are in the same space, it's going to get worse. Yes, that's, that's um, uh, pretty much what the forecast is. What we're, you know, I'm not, I'm not so concerned about the, the positivity rate on the testing. What I'm concerned about are the number of people going to be tested. Um, most folks don't sign up to get tested un- unless there's a reason. Uh, you've got a cough, you've got uh, something going on. And so as we go through the fall, I think we're going to see an increased demand for, for testing um, because the patient's not going to be able to, to determine whether it's a cold or, or ragweed or COVID uh, because all of the symptoms kind of coincide at some point. Um, and so a greater demand for testing would indicate to me that there's um, uh, something more going on in the the health community, um, uh, the the mortality rate for uh, patients who've caught the COVID has has diminished. I don't think anyone can doubt that, and that's because the protocols for treating patients have improved over the last uh, four to six months. Uh, but we're still still losing a number of vulnerable uh, communities um, that that you know ordinarily we would you know, would have sailed on through a cold or, or perhaps a flu. Uh, uh, you know, this, this virus uh, has a, a remarkable uh, ability to spread. And uh, if, if we don't tamp down and, and practice the, the uh, same uh, uh, social distancing, the, the wearing the mask, uh, just to knock 20 or 30 percent off the spread rate, uh, we will be in a difficult situation uh, right around election time. Yeah, and, and that's that's what's so frustrating is because it's been politicized. So some people are just going to listen to the talking heads because they put their full faith and credit in that specific party or specific leader. And so, you know, for me, like you said earlier, this should be something that's agnostic, scientific based by the medical leaders. Um, and so that's what kind of confounds the situation and, and for me makes it, you know, a wait and see versus extremely optimistic and thinking that things are going to get back to normal. Um, you know, that's I mean, absolutely right. I mean, you know, Houston is home to the greatest medical facilities in the world. And our leadership has, has um, especially in Austin, has chosen to ignore the, the, the medical advice of the institutions that we support with taxpayer dollars. Um, you know, that, that, that somebody with a law degree knows more than someone who spent 25 years, you know, fighting viruses is, is just absolute nonsense. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I have a law degree. <laughs> I may have stated a Holiday Inn Express last night, but that does not make me a medical doctor, let alone one that's dealt with something, this pathogen, it's something, this capacity, uh, magnitude. Um, and so, you know, for me, balancing the, the economic side of, of risk-reward, right, and how do you quantify out the human life and the value of that human life, I have seen some studies that say taking out someone at the highest earning potential 
you know, whether they get this and die or they get this and they have a reduction in production or a reduction in capacity, if you will, because, you know, they're only 25% of what they were. Have you seen anything that jumps out to you like that? that that's really saying, look, we really should shut down and, and maybe take the hard medicine now, uh, even though it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really painful for the economy because we got to protect that labor force that may be in the 50s and 60s that is really the receptacles and knowledge. It's the institutional knowledge and it has not yet been passed down to who may not be as vulnerable in, in the workforce. You know, we're, this is something we'll only see in arrears after we, we get by it. Um, you know, what we have seen vis-a-vis uh, you know, -vis the, the U.S. reaction and other nations' reaction, uh, even though the, uh, you know, China has gone through an incredible shutdown and now the economy is, is fundamentally free of COVID, um, at least from the data we see coming out of it. And so life is returning to, to normal there, and we're still uh, well behind the curve, uh, if you will. Um, but do you um, trust the data coming out of China? No, I don't trust the data coming out of China, but... Uh, uh, and you read every other day. I mean, look at South Korea. They're now going back into a shutdown, right? Exactly. And, and apparently so, Vietnam's not had any... I don't think that they've had any deaths due to COVID-19 um, pursuant to their data. So, you know, it's for, you got to have veracity here, right? And so. Well, the good thing is in Houston as an international city, we've, we've got, you know, populations from China, South Korea, Vietnam, all living in Houston. And so you just kind of listen to what they're hearing from home. And that, that gets you around the official news uh, uh, agencies. Yeah, word of mouth. I think 25% of our population in Houston is international. Um, so, yeah, it is a wait and see. In hindsight, of course, will be perfect. Um, but, I mean, is there anything else that's remarkable to you about this downturn versus what happened in 2008? Uh, well, yes. Again, this is, this is, you know, public health downturn. It was and, and mandated by the, the reaction to uh, uh, preserve the public health. You know, the national security is national interest. Um, and so that's what makes this different. Uh, the downturn in 2008 was essentially a financial collapse uh, caused by the overextension of, of loans um, uh, when, the, when the Clinton administration uh, changed the requirements for, for equity. Um, and a lot of folks were able to buy houses without putting any equity down. And, and that kind of fueled a, a massive expansion uh, in conjunction with the tech boom. Um, and then when the, the uh, things softened, when the, when the, the merry-go-round slowed uh, and, and payments uh, uh, became late and, and then were failed to, to uh, make it, they had all sorts of challenges um, supporting the, the financial infrastructure. If you had to rate the financial crisis of 2009, 8-9, and we're using the Richter scale, if you had to rate that on the Richter scale and then now rate our current pandemic crisis, what weight would you give those two downturns? Um, goodness. Well, you know, let's, let's do a scale of, of one to a hundred with the great depression is a hundred. 
Um, and you know, 2008, the financial crisis, we would probably, uh, I, I would throw in at about a, a 25. And uh, this pandemic is somewhere in the uh, uh, 65 range wow. in terms of recession. Um, yeah, the, the national impact of the pandemic and, and the amount of, of expenditures that we've, we've gone out to do, this is on a par with World War II, uh, at least to date, could be more. Um, uh, you know, this is, you know, as, a, as an economic event is uh, uh, certainly the most devastating that we've had since uh, uh, the Great Depression. So... If it's a 65, is that, are you factoring in that there is a double dip or, or, or not? Uh, no, I, I, you know, what we saw with the Great Depression was a, was a you know, precipitous fall and a, a brief recovery. And then the fact that uh, Washington uh, failed to address the root causes correctly, uh, failed to uh, put in place the, the appropriate responses. Um, and then we had um, uh, the second fall. Um, I think I think we may be teed up for that, especially with the financial markets. Uh, if the uh, at, at this point, I you know the Federal Reserve is funding uh, banks and and investors as they they trade their paper for for dollars, and they take the dollars and they buy more paper. The Fed essentially is the the one big provider of liquidity to the financial markets, if that's withdrawn, then we're going to see prices uh, uh, kind of tip over the, the edge. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, another price collapse in the markets like we saw uh, earlier in the spring and, and see that uh, kind of kick off right before the election. Now, remember, the markets themselves are not the economy. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a leading indicator, and, and as most people rightly point out, you know, stock market collapses have, have correctly predicted 16 of the last eight recessions. So uh, going forward, it, it really depends on how we support the base of the pyramid as to how quickly we can get back to business as usual. <laughs> and unfortunately, the base of the pyramid is exactly where the, the COVID virus lives. Yeah, and argumentatively, the base of the pyramid's not being fed. Um, and so we'll see what they do as, as voters come election day. Uh, if, if it's not corrected from this, you know, the, the, the bottom-up approach in a timely manner, Ed, what, what would you rate that on, on the scale of 1 to 100 then if, if we see this protracted and otherwise not addressed and corrected in a timely we're basis. Our, we're, we're on our way to repeating the Great Depression at that point. Um, you know, the, the economic base of the nation in terms of manufacturing is just a, uh, providing goods that folks can buy uh, is, is much smaller than it used to be. Uh, you know, 75% of our economy is service-based. And so... Uh, you know, if you're not able to provide services to your, uh, uh, I mean, tax preparation groups, I mean, how, how are they going to make a living if you don't have an income on which you're going to pay taxes? I mean, I may not even be able to pay taxes, for example. I mean, you know, everybody can just get in line 
and so the the circular flow of of capital of of money of currency in the economy grinds to a halt. Um, you know, it's not a question of going out and 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 you know buying a meal at McDonald's. It's uh, uh, you know maybe I can get a loaf of bread and a can of tuna fish, and uh, extend that through a day. I mean, this is this is the level where. Uh, uh, economic activity is is ignored by Wall Street and Washington, but but this is a level that the impact is felt uh, uh, most. How much time do we have before it gets that that bad? Uh, um, I'm talking through my hat. You know, six months to a year. So there's hope. There's some time, right? Whether it becomes there is, there is time to act. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that it's important though, but I just think it's important that everybody keeps it at the forefront of their mind that, you know, it's the economy, stupid. It's really important. <laughs> so well I, that brings us to this this part of our, our show where Do we ever, do we ever have a problem? So this is where I'm going to give you a really ridiculous question in a very short amount of time to figure it out. I think we've kind of laid the base work for this. Uh, so I'm excited to see what you come up with here. So Ed, President Trump has decided to replace Secretary Mnuchin. You are now the Secretary of the Treasury and the House and Senate have agreed to pass whatever recovery package you create. What's in it? Uh, so I'm going to, uh, expand unemployment benefits across the lower part of the pyramid and pick up not only the officially unemployed, but the, the ones who are the gig workers and provide some support for them. Uh, I'm going to provide, uh, uh, a financial backstop, probably in conjunction with the fed for, uh, the owners of property. So for example, the landlords, um, uh, I don't want everybody's capital wiped out. I certainly don't want um, uh, a whole run of rash of foreclosures and bankruptcies. Um, I'm going to want to encourage um, new companies and development. So I, uh, to the extent that I can, I'm going to ask the banks to provide loans to startups and loans to uh, individuals, uh, just as we've done for, for large corporations and small corporations. and and uh, uh, have them uh, extend this until we get to a point where we can say we, we have a vaccine or we're post-pandemic. So, you know, six-month to uh, a 12-month policy of, of providing the financial support, uh, borrowing against the uh, future GDP of the nation to get us off the ground. Um, we certainly have that ability. Uh, we can do that. Um, and that would, um, uh, you know, put us much more of a, a, a vested interest in, in the local neighborhoods. We could, you know, go to the banks. The banks would say, Nick, here's a, here's a, a hundred K go start your business. Here's 50 K. Um, let's get this, let's get this underway. And in, and if you go perform what you're going to do, start the business, start, uh, employing people, um, uh, you apply for uh, forgiveness, that money becomes a grant to you. And it, it comes essentially out of uh, the future borrowing. Uh, certainly, 
Um, the Democrats and Republicans have no issue with going to the uh, national uh, treasury and borrowing to, to support this. Um, I would expect that's going to happen. Um, if we, we need to look at a way of funding this, um, this probably wouldn't come from a Republican administration, but I think we'd have to, to look at some way of, of providing a, you know, a taxable uh, increase on the, the 1%, the 10% who, who hold an awful lot of the capital in the nation. Yeah, it's very profound and informational. But the real challenge appears to have been the, the president you know, digging his heels in on the post office, um, which... Uh, <laughs> Mario and I have a discussion concerning that on a daily basis. I play, I, I play the devil's advocate of the USPS does not work, and he, he of course, thinks that we need to support the post office. Um, well, when your motivations are to prevent and stall mail ballots from reaching their destination, I think you should preserve the post office, absolutely. Well, I think there's, um, uh, you know, we could argue that uh, we could do couriers and, uh, you know, have somebody go through a neighborhood and collect them for crying out loud. Right. Um, I mean, well, that's what we have with the post office. We could do that. I mean, the president sure as hell wouldn't like this, but Amazon, for example. You just gave the answer that I give all the time. Why don't we just turn it over to Amazon or turn it over to somebody else that's been noodling on creating their own delivery service? Because as attorneys, we tend not to trust USPS, even though we have to get the certified mail, RRR. Um, I usually send it certified mail with a return receipt requested, and I also send it FedExed and otherwise get personal service. Um, but if you just see some amazing solutions, if you privatized it, I think personally. Well, and and absolutely every time I've ever had to absolutely positively rely upon a delivery service to get it there. They don't. I'd prefer there's some really good insurance that I can get a timely collection on if they fail to deliver or lose something that's very near and dear to me. Um, so you'd say the good faith full credit and backing of the federal government's all you need. But I would say there's a time period of actually being. Oh, you you know, know, and we actually have that, you know, built into the constitution, right? So uh, uh, voting was the, uh, uh, always the uh, uh, first Tuesday, second Tuesday after the whatever in November. And we didn't have the inauguration until March to allow for the counts, the, the ballots to be submitted to, to be compiled, to go forward. And now, now it's, you know, January 20th and the, the electoral college meets um, right before Christmas to, to certify the election. So that we have built in windows of time uh, that the, you know, the question is, will the local, uh, uh, you know, voting apparatus be able to manage this. And, um, you know, we, we've got a new uh, voter registrar here in uh, Houston um, for her, uh, because we, you know, uh, the, the clerk stepped down and, and we have an interim in place. Um, you know, I have no reason to think that, that it's going to be worse, but we had a number of problems during the primaries because, um, uh, we had cut back on the number of polling places across the, the Harris County area, which, um, you know, seemed to be, uh, you know, just ridiculous. I mean, why, why should folks, you know, show up at a poll in the after, afternoon and uh, have to wait until two in the morning to cast a, a vote? 
Um, this is simple management expertise. And, uh, you know, the fact that it was, it was blown so badly is um, a remarkable uh, uh, condemnation of, of competency. What say you, Mario, about that? The official line was the parties, because it's a primary and they're held jointly, the parties had to agree on the number of locations, which they both did. But the clerk allotted the same number of machines for each party at each location, as opposed to giving Republican locations more machines versus Democratic precincts more machines. Even though that had been done in the past, she did not want any hint or air of bias to be around her first primary. So, and so, and that, so without, without considering uh, the past activities, the past behavior, and the, the representation in the different communities of Democrats and Republicans, she absolutely demonstrated bias. Yeah, and and that's I mean she resigned shortly after. So I mean, she, she wasn't following Bayesian economics of updating her systems of belief based on. I mean, when you go to you know a park, a, a park or a community center, and it's in a heavily Democratic area, and you have four machines on each side, when you really need to have eight and two or six and and three or whatever. Same thing on the Republican side. It just didn't make any sense, especially when you had expected high turnout for one party. Is yeah, all, that's just gross incompetency. But yeah. so, is, which party did it hurt the most? It hurt the Democrat side the most because they actually had a contested primary. You know, they had enthusiasm and high turnout because they had a number of folks running for president and all these campaigns locally gearing up. Uh, on the Republican side, you had an incumbent, so you knew that what to expect turnout-wise. And locally, there were only a certain number contested races on the primary. So you know going in, we need to prepare for this, and it was totally disregarded. And would the clerk have known that going into it? Absolutely. So Absolutely. Do you think that all this is just symptomatic of the polarization of the political process right now? Yes, and now they've the county's created an election administrator position to try and remedy that. They've taken some duties from the county clerk, some duties from the tax assessor, collector, voter registrar, combined them into an unelected bureaucrat, essentially, um, to remove the ability to screw an election up uh, because of politics. So what could somebody do that's out there listening and wondering what can I do to make a difference? Whether you're Republican, Democratic, Libertarian, Independent, Martian, doesn't matter. I would say if you have the ability, sign up to be a poll worker for an election. Learn what that experience is like and, and be of service to run a safe and smooth election. Would you say that voters have lost confidence in the entire process? No, I don't think so. Um, but I, I, you know, for Texas, um, you know, the process I think is really pretty straightforward. And, uh, you know, we have the opportunity to vote early. And, and that's a magnificent opportunity for social distancing. 
uh, the, the polls are open, what, a week to two weeks ahead of, of the actual election day. Uh, uh, everybody should be taking advantage of this to um, uh, get out and, and, and vote early. Um, yeah, my, my experience in the primary was, you know, essentially strolling through, uh, uh, wore a mask, um, you know, hand sanitizer, mask, uh, a rubber booty for the finger, uh, you know, and I was out in, in five minutes. There were more than enough um, uh, stations where, where I went in, which was a county facility that was set up for early voting. That was not a problem. And I saw four people the whole time. Um, that, that made it easy. Uh, and I think, uh, if the County, uh, can expand that opportunity for early voting, um, that will help us get through November, uh, so that we don't have everybody piling up on, on, uh, what is it? November 3rd this year. Yeah. Hopefully if people are listening, Hey, this is informational, get out there and vote as soon as you can. Uh, it's kind of like the traffic. You don't want to be driving when everybody else is going to drive and I'm not trying to tie it back to John Nash, but. You know, in some way, shape, or form it is. Um, Ed, one last question. Have you in your entire lifetime seen the political parties so diametrically opposed? And I'm just going to use the word nasty with one another. Just it's, it's gotten uncivil, if you will. No, it has been uncivil. And, uh, I mean, we can look back to, uh, you know, the Nixon era, which, which I lived through, Dixon and, and Humphrey, or... Um, um, Nixon McGovern, uh, uh, well, Goldwater. And uh, uh, when he ran um, in, in 64 against LBJ, this was, this was all nasty. Um, uh, George H.W. Bush, you know, spread all sorts of scurrilous rumors around about Dukakis. I mean, this is, this is gloves off. We just see a lot more of it today because social media brings it right to your door. It's just not you know, on the, the six o'clock news. That's an interesting perspective. Or the president just brings it right to your Twitter account. There you well, go. precisely, if you follow him, I mean, um, you know. How could you not? It is modern just comedy and drama and just, it, it's just, eh, that, if you ask me what I watch for entertainment, it's stuff like that. Um, but I don't let it color my judgment. Yeah, it's very much uh, reminiscent of the of the late '60s, early '70s. Uh, distrust in the government, uh, distrust in the executive, distrust in Congress, um, uh, distrust in each other. Um, um, yeah, that was about you know when my hair was this long uh, earlier. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the final question would be: Would you vote in favor of term limits? Uh, you know, I think term limits in, in Congress, for example, is, you know, it's not a bad idea. We certainly see some members of the Senate who are, uh, uh, well past their, uh, use by date, um, the feeble, uh, uh, unable to do well, as, as some folks have pointed out, form a cogent sentence. I mean, I have that trouble on a daily basis. Um, I think know, it's, we all it's, do. Young, it's a young person's game. And, um, you know, in, uh, you know, you, you know, hundred senators and, and, uh, 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 435 representatives, I mean, uh, right. We've, we've got more than enough young people who can do that job. 
Well, hopefully this has all been enough to get the young people motivated and engaged and play an active role in the process. So apparently COVID, if you're playing the odds, generally stand the best chance if that's the case. Uh, It's just unfortunate, but I do think we make it through it. And I do think that it reshapes our entire theater and how we look at the world. Absolutely. Uh, That's what's required. Um, You know, perseverance. The the nation has been through a number of pandemics and epidemics over the uh, last couple of centuries. And my my parents um, had to deal with polio. My parents had to deal with the the end of of smallpox, but it was still still, um, uh, running through the nation. Scarlet fever. uh, pandemics were the scourge of the United States in the 19th century. And uh, for the last um, several decades, you know, quite frankly, we've been very fortunate. Yep. And Houston's got the medical center and has more than enough intellectual capital for solving this problem and, and others to come. And Lord knows we have enough resiliency. So Houston's strong. Thanks for your time, Ed. I really appreciate it. Catch up soon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching the show. Uh, hopefully this has provided something that, that really gets you empowered, lets you understand that this issue is serious. It, it really is something that touches every life. And so please like, subscribe, share, uh, leave us comments. You know, we're here to really get everyone, bring them together and make a difference. So thanks for watching the show. Thanks for your support. And until next time, This has been another episode of Your Houston, the show where you make a difference.